Welcome to Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. You can find links to all of Phil's resources at philsbaker.com. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today and take a moment to share this podcast with your friends. Now, here's Phil. Hey, y'all. This is episode 96 of Reclaiming the Faith. And in this episode, I had the privilege of interviewing my brother, Matthew Marcel, about his testimony concerning how he came in contact with the earliest Christian writings and how those early Christian writings changed his life. If you're blessed by this episode, please consider leaving a positive rating and review on my Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Also, I want to encourage you to check out my Patreon page, patreon.com slash philsbaker, where you can find two videos each month. The first being a look at an early Christian or early Christian document, and the second being an acoustic version of one of my original songs. And speaking of my music, I definitely want you to check out my newest album, Kingdom Come, which you can find on Apple Music or Amazon, Spotify, etc., So go check that out. And again, if it's a blessing to you, please consider leaving a positive rating and review there. I'm blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency along with BDK and Kurt, who are putting out so much good content each week. So go check out their YouTube channels, Omega Frequency and Omega Frequency Live to view that content. And finally, the early Christian quotes that I used can generally be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can purchase for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. There is so much amazing uh, content there, so please go check out Scroll Publishing. All right, well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get episode 96 rolling. Well, Matthew, Marcel, thank you so much for taking the time to come on Reclaiming the Faith, man. I think this is going to be such a blessing for me and such a blessing for everyone who's listening to this. So, brother, will you will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you for having me, Phil. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up, uh, I think, a lot like, uh, like you and the fact of, you know, I grew up here in Texas, a uh, very uh, Christian conservative home, Southern Baptist uh, background. Um, uh, I was saved when I was eight years old, and I, um, I, I really believe that since I, since then, I, uh, I've really had that love relationship, love faith relationship with Jesus, and uh, just recently. Uh, the last three years or so, um, I've started to grow in the obedient part of that relationship. Mm-hmm. The more that I've uh, been seeking uh, what His Word actually commands us to do, yeah, uh, that's that. It's a it's a definitely a pruning process. Um, you know, John chapter 15 has really impacted my life a lot. Yeah. Um, 
And for the listeners, I'd really encourage y'all to uh, read really that whole chapter, but especially the first uh, half of that chapter. Mm. I think one through like 15 or 16, verse one through 15 or 16, but really the whole chapter in context. But uh, it really, he really, Jesus really does a good job um, explaining what he considers. Uh, you know, I mean, really, that's what matters is it, it doesn't matter what I believe or what I think or my pastor or Phil. Like what really matters is what Jesus said. Mm. And uh, I think Paul said, uh, let what God says be true and ever, ever made a liar. Yeah. So what I had to realize is if what Jesus said contradicted what I grew up believing, what I grew up believing was now wrong. Mm. It it uh, was a very sobering, um, sobering thing. But it, I mean, I, like I said, that that love for Jesus, like, was already there. Yeah. So when I realized, when I came to that uh, understanding of this is what he said, this is what he meant. He, he meant what he said, and he said what he meant, so what am I going to do with that? Mm. Uh, and there was uh, several teachings that he gave, specifically in the Sermon on the Mount, that um, I had never really thought about in that uh, sense of he said what he meant, meant what he said, literally and simply. Yeah. And uh, when I when I came to that, then I was like, what am I going to do with it now? Like, I can't unknow what Jesus said. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? I've got to do something with it. Like, I can't just uh, overlook it, you know. Uh, I mean, I had to make a decision. Uh, am I in charge of my life or is Jesus in charge of my life? Am I the Lord of my life? Mm. There is what I've been saying since I was eight years old really true. Is Jesus the Lord of my life? Is he the master you know, he said in Matthew 10, uh, this, uh, the servant is not above his master and the, um, uh, help me out. What, uh, yeah, yeah. Students not above his yeah, teacher you know and I'm all thinking. that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's in, he's in charge, you know, and I had to really come up with that, that, um, decision. And once I made that decision, then it was like, he's like, okay, here's a little bit more. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to print off another branch. I'm going to print off another branch, you know. Mm. And uh, thankfully, he didn't just prune them all off at one time. But he's still pruning every day. I mean, you can ask anybody that's closest to me. I mean, I, I'm still having to give things up every day. I'm, I just, I'm still can be uh, selfish-minded and um, <laughs> can we all? try to. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely... Uh, I can definitely be that way, and that's not an excuse. And something that I think a lot of the times we uh, we use, we we always a lot of people say, myself included, in the past, have said, you know, I'm not perfect, mm. and that can easily be used as an excuse to willfully sin. Yeah, and I think that's an, uh, a a very deceptive trap because mm. yes, until Jesus comes back. And while we're in this flesh, in this body, we are going to mess up. And sometimes we're going to blow it big time. Yeah. 
And until he gives us that new body at his return, we're going to keep messing up. But we, if we are truly born again, and we have the spirit of the living God living inside of us, and we don't have an excuse to sin because we have the ability to live righteously, not from not from us, but from what Jesus did. He, Jesus said, you can't do anything apart from me. I'm telling you, uh, John 15 is really a good, good verse as far as salvation goes. And every, I mean, every just Christian lit, like just your, the way you live your life. And it's a really good chapter. And he said, you can, you, uh, you can't do anything apart from me. Like it, we, we need Jesus, but we have to, he's not going to go above our free will. We have to uh, want to obey him because we love him. Mm. And he will empower us to obey him. If you know what I mean, it's, yeah, it's that uh, he, he works with us in that. And that's something that's really, uh, you know, uh, he, he's re- that's really made a huge part in <laughs> changing my whole paradigm that you know as the book of acts says seven chapter 17 uh turn the world upside down mm. well jesus's teaching says done turn my world <laughs> clean upside down as far as my whole paradigm uh the way i grew up traditionally and and uh, and, and i'm not at all um you know knocking on the way I grew up as far as the way I was, uh, you know, parented or uh, the church that I grew up in or anything like that. I'm not saying anything wrong against it, but just, you know, growing up in, in the traditions and the culture I grew up in, uh, it, you know, a lot of it, I mean, it, it just, it, it uh, is completely counter to what Jesus uh, requires of us living as a citizen of his kingdom a diff- in a different uh, different kingdoms, not of this world. Yeah, man, you know, you're talking a whole lot like a like an early Christian. You sound a whole lot like one of them, you know. And uh, um, it's not know, overnight. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I know we've had a lot of we've had a lot of conversations online about some of their Christian, the early Christian writings. Like, what are some of the the early Christian writings that you came across that began to to shift your your Christian worldview. Um, uh, definitely, there's definitely a lot of them, and uh, a lot of uh, David Berso, uh, a lot of his um, the videos and stuff. That he, I mean, gives a lot of early Christian writings, and so do you in in your book and your podcast, and and. Um, I mean, one that really, uh, a couple that have really impacted me is uh, the one from, and uh, I'll read just a little bit of it. Um, This is from uh, Hermas, uh, 150 AD. Yeah. Let's see. He says to me, you know that uh, that you who are the servants of God dwell in a strange land. For your city is far away from this one. If then he continues, you know your city in which you are to dwell. Why do you, why do ye uh, here provide lands and make expensive preparations and accumulate dwellings and useless buildings? He who makes such preparations for this city cannot return 
again to his own. O foolish and unstable and miserable man, doest thou not understand that all these things belong to another and are under the power of another? For the Lord of this city will say, I do not wish thee to dwell in my city, but depart from this city, because thou obeyest not my laws. Thou therefore, although having fields and houses and many other things, when cast out by him, what wilt thou do with thy land and house and other possessions which thou hast gathered to thyself? For the Lord of this country justly says to thee, Either obey my laws or depart from my dominion. What then doest thou intend to do? Having a law in thine own city on account of thy lands and the rest of thy possessions, thou shalt altogether deny thy law and walk according to the law of this city. See, lest it be to thy hurt to deny thy law. For if thou shalt desire to return to thy city, thy city, he means uh, heaven, uh, the kingdom of God, thou wilt not be received because thou hast denied the law of thy city, but wilt be uh, excluded from it. Have a care, therefore, as one living in a foreign land. Make no further preparations for thyself than such merely as may be sufficient. And be ready when the master of this city shall come to cast thee out for disobeying his law, to leave his city and to depart to thine own, and to obey thine own law without being exposed to annoyance. But in great joy have a care, then ye who serve the Lord and have him in your heart, that ye work the works of God, remembering his commandments and promises which he promised, and believe that he will bring them to pass, if he if his commandments be observed uh, instead of lands, therefore by afflicted souls, according as each one is able and visit widows and orphans and do not overlook them and spend your wealth and all your present preparations, which you received from the Lord uh, upon such lands and houses. For to this end, did the master make you rich that you might uh, perform these services unto him and it's much better to purchase such lands and possessions and houses as you will find in your own city when you uh, come to reside in it. Mm. And he continues on, but that's, <laughs> I know that's long enough, but it's uh, this, uh, this, I'll just read just a couple sentences of Lactatius 3 and uh, 310 AD. Um, he says, uh, let's see. But the just and wise man, because he deems all these things as human, as it has been said by Leislis, uh in his own good is divine, neither desires anything which belongs to another, lest he should injure anyone uh, at all in violation of the law of humanity, nor does he long for any power or honor that he may not do an injury to anyone, for he knows that all are produced by the same God in the same condition and are joined together by the right of brotherhood. Being content contended with his own in, a, in that a little because he is mindful of his frailty he does not seek for anyone beyond that which may support his life and even from that which he has he bestows uh, a share of the destitute because he is pious let's see trying to get to the part where okay because he knows his own condition since therefore he does injury to no one nor desires the property of others and does not even defend his own if it is taken from him by violence, since he knows 
how even to, uh, to bear with moderation and injury afflicted upon him, because he has endured with virtue. So I could keep going on, and, and that's not just just those two uh, sure. early Christians, as you know. I mean, that's what they all they all spoke like that. Uh, just one or two scriptures, just to kind of show that you know the early Christians weren't just you know, uh, cooking up their own doctrines. I mean, they were going off of what the Bible said uh, here um, in Colossians 1. Um, see. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, it says... For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. So uh, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That's verse 13 and 14. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, we could keep going on with uh, Jesus talking to Pilate. And I think it's John chapter 18, 17 or 18, when mm -hmm. he says that his kingdom is not of this world. For if it were of this world. The servants would fight that they should not be delivered to the to the Jews. Right. I mean, you know, we could we could go on and on. That I mean, all once you have that paradigm of the two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, uh, pretty much every verse in the Bible you read makes a lot more sense, and none of them contradict each other when you 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 take every one of them uh, literally and for what it says. You don't have to. Uh, as David Brousseau says, sweep any under the rug, you know, mm. that you know, any of the ones that uh, contradict your uh, denominational doctrines, yeah. you don't have to sweep those under the rug. In context of the whole scripture, they all make perfect sense. Why do you think those two passages were standing out to you, were resonating with you so strongly? <sighs> Definitely because... Um, like I was saying uh, a while ago with uh, the pruning, uh, I'm thankful that God didn't, uh, you know, just prune. A, he, he prunes branches. He's very gracious when he does it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that he didn't just start out with the big branches, you know. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're faithful in little. You'll be faithful in much. Yeah. It says in Scripture. You know, it started out with the little things, started out with things of uh, where, you know, my dreams for the future, where I thought my family should live and what I thought, uh, you know, we should do or what, you know, just my my, my uh, aspiration, to, you know, what I, what I, where I thought we should be, yeah. you know, um, things like that, that at the time seemed like my whole life, yeah. but now little bitty old branches compared to some of the other ones that I've given up since that time. About three or so years ago is when that started. And uh, in, after that, after I gave that up to, to Jesus, um, it he really put me through, and it, it's still, I'm still going through this every day, this dying to myself, but he really hit home every I mean, I'm talking every day, like uh, multiple sources that I would be listening to that don't aren't even tied to each other. You know, different sermons, messages, things, constantly talking about dying to yourself. Yeah. Uh, you know, just said, 
um, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Uh, Matthew 10, I'd encourage the listeners to read that whole chapter of Matthew 10. That chapter, I mean, hit me, you know, big time like a freight train during this time. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, you know, um, I don't know if this is the same chapter, uh, and you might correct me if I'm wrong. This might have been a different chapter, but I know there was a time where a lot of the crowd was following Jesus because he was starting to get kind of popular with this miracles and he stopped him and he said look y'all need to really understand what you're getting into you need to understand what you're giving up to follow me it's uh, not just the invite jesus into your heart uh sinner's prayer it's you're giving your life to me you confess not you know people say just confess jesus as lord but uh, like you say in the first chapter of your book, you do an awesome job of explaining what that really means. That you're you're giving your life to Jesus as, as Master and Lord and King mm. of your life. You're surrendering. Uh, you're not just inviting Jesus into your house or letting Him live in one of your rooms, but some of the rooms in your house you're keeping off limits to Him. You're giving Him the deed of your house. Mm. You're giving Him everything. And once I did that and he really started pruning those branches off, that's whenever the bigger things started. He started uh, really, um, I started looking into the early Christian writings uh, through listening to your podcast and reading your book and listening to BDK and every and everything like that. And uh, I started really, I didn't like it at first because it was really uncomfortable, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was really uncomfortable, but there was a point when I realized, you know what, I've got to do something with this. You know, uh, they're right. You know, Jesus did say these things. He said to turn the other cheek and to love your enemies. Um, I mean, it, that was that was a very very hard. That was that was the hardest commandment that um, that because uh, I knew that's what he said. And then, you know, I tried using all the different, uh, you know, because I grew up in Texas, yep. right? So, I mean, uh, I mean the, the Texas, the, the Southern culture, yep. if uh, somebody breaks into your house and, I mean, you, you use your Second Amendment right before you even call the law, yep. you know, I mean, and I've always had that love for people so I, that was never really my first option but it was always an option in my in my the back of my head yeah but when jesus said love your enemies and then he did it yeah. you know uh, i'll read this real quick because this really impact this helped change my whole paradigm uh it says in uh romans chapter five you know uh, jesus commanded us to love our enemies and then he turned around and did it. And this is such a beautiful uh, passage that reflects the gospel, in my opinion. Yeah. It says uh, in Romans 5, uh, 6, it says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man or one died, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. 
for if we were uh, for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life and not only that but we also uh, rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation sounds a lot like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 when he said you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but I tell you not to resist an evil person but whosoever slaps you on your right cheek turn the other to him also if anyone wants to see you and take your tunic let him uh, have your cloak also and whoever compels you to go one mile go with him too give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you do not turn away you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Those. So he's talking about people that know what they're doing. They're purposefully knowing that they're not just people that ignorantly are persecuting you, but people that despite spitefully use you and persecute you, yeah. that you may be sent to your father in heaven, which he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. So that, when I read that, with uh, uh, without any preconceptions, without any uh, filters of my Southern Baptist denominational doctrine, um, I was like, you know, Jesus really meant what he said, and I know he meant what he said because I read this chapter, I read this passage in context. Mm. Context helps a lot, and at the very, the very last words that Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, which this is Matthew five, is in the Sermon on the Mount. He says uh, this, which really shook my my paradigm, because uh, this isn't what I was taught in, in growing up. Uh, in Matthew seven twenty one, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And when I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whosoever... Here's these sayings of mine. And in context, the sayings were the teachings he just got done teaching and does them. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded. So these teachings are foundational on the walk on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does them not will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was the fall. And it was so when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them with one having authority, not as the scribes. So people were just as astonished in his day as they are today when they try to make it 
like he didn't really mean what he say. It, it's the rad. It, it was a radical uh, sermon. We don't really have. To, it's impossible to live that way. It is impossible for us to live that way on our own. But if we give our life to Jesus and He is Lord, and we are we die to ourselves and are born again, we have to die to ourselves before we can be born again. Mm. Before He can live in us, we have to die to our sinful life. And then when the spirit of the living God is living inside of us, we can obey him because we love him. Mm. That obedient love, faith relationship with him. Yeah. And, and I was just going to say this too. It's, um, you know, this, this, um, teaching was really, really the, uh, probably the biggest thing that I've given up in my life on, um, you know, as my as far as my paradigm shifts, and uh, and I and I still, I mean, I, I don't have any problem with guns or anything. I've got a lot of guns. I like to hunt and fish and all that. Sure. But I've given up my right to to defend myself. Yeah. And um, I think Jesus. I know Jesus knew what he was doing because he had me die to myself before he brought this teaching up. Because if it was reversed then I wouldn't have been able to do it. I had to um, give up all these other, I had to give, I had to, to make that commitment decision. You know what, whatever you say is what I'm going to do. And then he started pruning these big branches off. And I'll tell you what, the biggest thing for me, just being a hundred percent completely honest, this was not an overnight uh, thing. I mean, like I said, when I read this, I knew he was serious because what he said at the end of the sermon. I mean, that's that's as serious as you can get what he said there. Right. And uh, I mean, it, so I had to do something with it. You know, he did he mean what he say or did he didn't? He once I knew he meant what he said. What was I going to do about it? Was I going to decide to willfully disobey him and uh, stay in my comfort? zone or was i going to give up even my own life to to obey him and that part wasn't as hard giving up my my right of self-defense what was honestly the most difficult and what took a lot of uh well sleepless nights and a lot of prayer and and um, trying to seek exactly what god wants me to do and how he wants me to handle it was um the the point of defending like with defending with violence um, physical violence defending my wife that was the hardest thing I had to give up was I going who you know Matthew chapter ten you know Jesus requires everything our full allegiance um, and when I gave that to him and trusted him with that, that was the hardest thing that I had to give up. But I'll say this, the easy, it, it became, once I understood why he said that, it was a lot easier because Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount are not pacifist words. And see, I didn't understand that at first. Right. I kind of looked at it like it was a weak, it was weak, you know, like, uh, you know, yeah. just when somebody run over you and stuff. And but he, these are commands to an army. I mean, because right. he's 
He's commanding us to fight, to turn our attention on the true enemy. He's commanding us to uh, fight with weapons that transform lives. Right. You know, the early Christians, I'm very thankful that they took what he said literally. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had half of the New Testament. If they would have killed Paul out of self-defense right. when he was a Saul, Right. When he was small and he was a persecutor of Christians, when his job was to get them to deny Jesus, and Jesus said, if you deny me among men, I'll deny you among my father. If you confess me among men, I'll confess you among my father. So in, if you think about it, that's about as bad of a dude as you can get to have him. If they, Because a lot of the times those persecutors would turn around and kill him anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, unless, you know, without them having a chance to repent. So, I mean, you can, you know what I mean? It's, uh, they're giving, they're surrendering their salvation by yeah, denying Jesus. I mean, that's bad. But if they would have had their, if they would have killed Paul in, in defense, then we would not have had half of them. I mean, God could have used anybody, but. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, transform weapons that transform lives. Paul says it. Uh, we he says here, and uh, and these are some other ones that are just foundational to really help me a lot. Second uh, Corinthians ten, uh, Paul says, uh, "For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal." but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And then I'm sure everybody's familiar with uh, Ephesians 6. Uh, I think it's uh, 12. Uh, for we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers, the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places. So our war is against the sin nature of the flesh, not flesh and blood people, but the principalities, the, the demons behind what causes war, that we're in a war. And we are to fight. We're not to be pacifists, but we're to fight with the right weapons. And when I understood that, then I was like, it, you know, it's like a child where the, uh, his parents tell him not to touch the hot stove. And um, but once he understands why he shouldn't touch the hot stove, it's a lot easier for him to obey. Yeah. We should obey whether we understand why Jesus said it or not. But. It, for me, that was easier to. Um, we we should obey first without question, and a lot of the times he he'll he may or may not explain why, but we should obey uh, whether we understand or not. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, it's like that. You were talking about bringing the right kind of weapons. You know, like you don't bring a, a knife to a gunfight, and you don't bring a gun. <laughs> you don't bring a gun to a spiritual fight. You know, yeah. So, way to put it. Yeah, man. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but when I started reading these things, there was like this this dichotomy. In one sense, I was like really excited about it, like really geeking out about it. In the other sense, 
there was like sadness and kind of feeling, yeah, mourning, some grieving because it's like, man, I've been not just like living in a way that's contrary to the early Christians. I've also been teaching other people something that's contrary to it. And so like in one sense, you know, I want to share it, but then if I share this stuff, then I have to like almost repent, you know, when I'm saying it and it's like a pride check. Um, so like, did you experience a sort of grieving process as you're studying these things? And if so, what, what did that look like for you? Yeah, man. Uh, absolutely. I, I can definitely also relate to, um, I, I mean, yeah, big time. Cause I mean, I took a lot of pride in, um, fleshly pride. Yeah. I mean, it, it was all in my flesh cause I, I took a lot of pride in, um, you know, the way I, I'll say this. So first thing I tried to do when I heard these things was try to, uh, con- uh not contradict because I know scripture doesn't contradict, but I tried to explain away. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I knew pretty much all the different, um, uh, arguments, I guess I could say of, especially this, uh, self-defense turn of other cheek. I mean, I, I mean, you know, as far as the old Testament goes, and then I started looking more, but I really did it with an open heart because I wanted to know the truth. I didn't want to just be right, or I didn't want to just prove a point, but I wanted to know exactly what God was telling me to do. And I wanted to do it. I want, but I wanted to be sure, doggone sure that that's what he was saying before I gave it up. If you know what I mean? So I went through all the arguments that I, I grew up hearing, you know, and I understood once I understood the two kingdoms, I understood, you know, uh, Jesus said, repent ye for the kingdom of God is at hand. His kingdom, when he came, he brought his kingdom in. We're not a, we're not um, citizens of the kingdom of this world. It says that over and over and over. And I could spend all night showing that through scripture, but you've done a great job showing that in your podcast. And um, I'll leave that for maybe some homework for the listeners, but it's all over. But, um, you know, so I once I understood, okay, the Old Testament was a physical kingdom. The Israel was a physical kingdom. Uh, Paul, and I'm not trying to make a pro-government message or anything like that, but Paul said in Romans 13, the government bears a sword for a reason. Sure. Israel was its own physical kingdom. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it had a king. You know, Jesus is our king. He said, if my, my kingdom were this world, my servants would fight. So I want to be delivered to the Jews. So that kind of answered that for, for me. Okay, we're not of we're not in that kingdom. I mean, that was that was the kingdom of Israel. It was in the I think it was Deuteronomy thirty two when God divided the nations among the sons of God. Yep. You know, it was its own kingdom, right? So I was like, okay. So I went to uh, the passage in the uh, Last Supper when. Jesus said um, to, you know, uh, he that doesn't have a sword, go buy a sword. I was like, there it is. That's, you know, Jesus said to get a sword. Yeah, right? Luke 22, and, I think. Yeah. Yeah, 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 man. It's, 
uh, in in a, in a compare, you know, uh, the reflected. Uh, I think Matthew's account and I think Luke's together really paint the whole picture in context of. Uh, I mean, you know, that's one of those cherry picking scriptures. I mean, you can make it say whatever you want it to say. Yeah. If you take just that one scripture, you read one or two verses down. Jesus flat out calls it transgressions. Right. He says this was done so that I I will be numbered among the transgressors. Right. So is Jesus really telling his disciples, encouraging them to be transgressors? <laughs> really? And then you know, in the in the same context, in the same chapter, yeah. later on, when Peter uses a sword. He corrects him. He says, he that lives by the sword will be or die by the sword. And then he heals the man's ear. And then he again repeats himself again. This was done so that I'll be numbered among the transgressor. So that was just, I, as soon as I read it in context, there was absolutely no argument on that. I mean, it was just, I realized that I was twisting the script. I was, what I would um, speak against so many times on other issues I was doing myself, twisting yeah. the scripture. I mean, I would use the Jesus uh, beat the people in the temple to get him out of the. That's all speculation. It never says that Jesus whipped a man. Yeah. Now, there are a bunch of animals in there, and it does say he, he made the whip and drove drove him out of the temple, but it never said he whipped a, a man. Uh, you do the same speculation you can put to whipping a man, you can put towards whipping the animals. And that's more likely to what he did is with the animals to bring him out because that that doesn't contradict what he said all the rest of the times. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it's that that was um, that was kind of my I guess part of my mourning process. Uh, and you know, like like I mentioned a minute ago, with um, you know, the biggest part of it, uh, the hardest to give up was uh, you know, self defensive. Uh, loved ones and stuff you know i could give up once i understood that my life you know i had that eternity perspective this life is like nothing uh i mean what is you know 50 60 80 years in this life compared to the eyes of eternity you know whatever you're going through right now the worst you can cook up in your head is it mount to a hill of beans in the eyes of eternity you know a thousand years from now will it will it make a difference unless it's dishonoring god keeping you from heaven or somebody else then it doesn't matter in the eyes of eternity so once i understood that it was a lot easier for me to give up my own life but um you know defending my loved ones is a lot harder to give up but i don't know maybe you might be able to answer this i i see some places in scripture like um where people you know bound you know like uh i think that uh christians uh, bound Paul when he was blind because uh, they didn't trust him at first. So, I mean, I think there's some other things that we might uh, be uh, um, okay doing and still being obedient as far as not uh, violently, you know. Um, I know Jesus clearly said if someone strikes us to turn our other cheek to them and not, you know, Exist at all an evil person i don't know maybe when it comes to uh loved ones maybe we can uh get i mean i know we can stand in the way and we can put ourselves sacrificially in front of them but i don't know maybe we uh you know maybe we can uh uh you know uh 
um, you know, restrict them, hold them. You know, I mean, I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It yeah. maybe is that. Yeah, I mean, there's you know there's some restraining going on restraining, in um, in uh, it's either Acts 19 or Acts 20. It's Acts 19 when he's in Ephesus, and uh, you know the city is in an uproar, and he's trying to go into the like the big stadium or Colosseum or whatever, and they're gonna rip him limb from limb if they do. So Paul's brothers basically like say nope and grab him and like force him out. I mean, that, that'd be one thing. Um, but man, I, I think you're, you're really on to something when you're thinking about eternity, because we do, yeah. we, we are supposed to protect our family and our kids, but like, Absolutely. but just like you're talking about Jesus, Jesus saying his kingdom is not of this world. Like I, I have a responsibility to protect my kids' bodies. I have a greater responsibility to protect my kids' souls, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I, yeah. th- thus, I have a responsibility to try to prepare them to live in light of eternity. Like you're, you're quoting Colossians earlier, and I think it's in chapter three when it talks about us not focusing on earthly things, but on heavenly things, you know? And um, I, I, I have conversations with my kids about this from time to time because this stuff happens. I mean, they persecutors won't just go after us. They will go after our kids. You know, um, you see this with, uh, Roman, um, the Roman Caesar, I can't remember his name right now, but, uh, it was in the beginning of the second century. And, um, you have this governor named Pliny that's writing, I think is the emperor is Trajan. And, um, Pliny's trying to figure out what to do with these Christians because he's supposed to get them to, to recant of Christianity if he can, but he doesn't really know what's going on. And so he's asking, Pliny's asking Trajan, the, the Caesar, like, so is it okay that I tortured a couple of girls to find out the truth, you know, of, of Christianity? And Trajan's like, yep, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you can torture little girls. So that's horrible, horrible yeah, stuff really. to think about. But like, if that's coming, I want my I want my kids to be able to stand firm in their faith. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, not not be like Esau and choose a bowl of beans over my birthright. You know, just for temporary yeah. pleasure or temporary ease of of punishment. You know, just to get out of something. So I don't know. I think that's a big part of as parents training our kids up in the way they'll go. And I don't know. It requires a lot of tough conversations, man. But I mean, I'm real proud of you for for thinking those things and and willing to really pursue the truth, you know, wherever it takes you. That's that's awesome, man. Um, Earlier you were, when you were quoting the shepherd of Hermas, uh, you were talking about taking care of the, the orphans and the widows and, and you know, I was I was asking you like how those began to shape your worldview. You know, you've talked with me about pursuing adoption. Did did the Hermes chapter and some of the other things have an have an impact on you pursuing that? And if so, like where where are you in that? How can we be praying for y'all? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um <clears throat> I was actually um I was reading um so I, I 
I've never really big uh, been on big been on. Sorry. Uh, no, you're good, man. Been big on <laughs> trip over my words. Yeah. Been big on uh, uh, thought a lot about. I guess I could say adoption and fosters and foster care and everything. Um, mainly and really even you know I've always wanted. I've always uh, wanted kids, and my wife has to. Uh, both of us have felt really passionate about kids. Um, I've kind of, to be honest, uh, shied away from from it uh, the last couple of years, just the way the world's, you know, coming. And I'm just, yeah. you know, like um, I, I read passages of Scripture. You know, I, I mean, Matthew 24, you know, uh, yeah. Jesus said, Woe to the mothers who were nursing in those days. I mean, yeah. I'm just like, and I mean, I, I, I believe every, I mean, every word of the scripture is, is life. That's, I, I love reading the scripture. I, I don't like to read, but I love reading the scripture because I, I can, especially in the last couple of years, I mean, I just, I see the life in the scripture. Like it, it's, it's living really the living word of God. Yeah. And, uh, so when Jesus said, woe to the mothers who are nursing their days, I knew he meant it. Yeah. And I'm like, and, and even in the, you know, the Maccabees uh, time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the mother, I, I remember you having a podcast one time talking about the mother who uh, was watching her, her children, yeah. you know, be tortured. I yeah. mean, brutally. And they didn't, I mean, that was before Jesus came, but they didn't deny God. Yeah. They didn't, you know. And they stood strong, and I'm like, man, that's. I was like, I, I know, I know that uh, you know Matthew 10 and a couple of those passages have really impacted me. I know that I wouldn't. I mean, I, I, I just, you know, I wasn't necessarily afraid that I would, you know, deny Jesus or anything. I just didn't want to see my family go through any of that, and it yeah. really kind of kept me from even, um, you know, wanting to pursue that too much and uh but when i started to just deny myself and and say you know what do you want me to do god like um it was like i said we my my wife and i didn't really talk about adoption a whole lot like so uh what the story i'm fixing to give wasn't like at a time where we were like actively talking about it a lot it was just in the back of our head and so it just kind of came up as a uh, you know, conscious thought or something, but it was totally a God thing, big time. And uh, what, what what happened was uh, that passage I read a while ago of uh, Hermes, uh, when he was talking about um, not uh, storing up your treasures, uh, your possessions, your properties, all the houses and all these things on this earth, and don't be surprised when the ruler of this uh, city or this world comes and takes it from you. Um, and then the other uh, uh, lactations, I think it was, that said even um, the Christian does. He was ex- he was um, describing a Christian in that day, and he said even when they come and take thing, take your possessions by force, the Christian doesn't even defend his own possessions. So all those like I was kind of uh, you know like um, I was reading through those writings with one of my patients. I, I'm a home health nurse. And I was reading through those writings with one of my patients, and um, I was I went down to that part in uh, Hermes' quote where it said about the widows and orphans. And like I said, it, my point was completely different from the orphan. Yeah. Uh, 
But when I read that, like immediately I stopped and I never really thought about it. I mean, I've read that quite a few times before, but when I read it, I stopped and it wasn't like an audible voice or anything like that. But I mean, the Holy Spirit, right point blank, he was like, what are you doing for the orphans? Hmm. He's like, I'm calling you to do something for the orphans. What are you doing for them? And, and I couldn't really get over that. And I was like, you know, I was really convicted by it. And it stuck with me. And that same day when I got home, I got home and um, my, as soon as I got home, I mean, like not but a minute or so after I walked in the door, my wife said, I need to talk to you about something. And I said, oh, oh, boy, you know, what's that mean? She, she said, <laughs> yeah, well, that's something bad or something. Yeah. She said, no, it's nothing bad. And, uh, and it was the weirdest thing because as soon as she said it's nothing bad, I knew it was about uh, fostering or adopting. Wow. And, uh, and like I said, we were not talking about that or anything like that. So God was working on both of our hearts separately, yeah. but bringing us together at the right time. And, uh, we talked about it and, um, and I, we both had it. We prayed about it. We both had a peace about it. And then right after we got done praying, we got on Facebook and we saw a post about foster care. And I don't know if it was about adoption, but it was about fostering and, and orphans. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, man, okay. I think God's trying to tell us something. And, uh, and you know, that at that time, you know, uh, I just it was one of those moments where I was like, okay, God, I believe we prayed about it for. I mean, and we're still praying about it, but we prayed about it for a couple of days before we really, you know, we're like, okay, let's see what we need to do about this. But after a couple of days, I remember thinking, like, okay, I, I I really have a peace that this is what God is telling us to do. So if this is really what God's telling us to do, I know he's going to work it out. And um, all the worries that I have about the future, I mean, even the next year or the next two years or the next 10 years or whatever, I know he's going to work it out because I know this is what he's telling us to do. And if we're living in God's will, we can't fail. We may fail on the world standards, but... I mean, I can tell you from very from personal experience, when I try to do it myself, or I try to run from what God's telling me to do, yeah. I make a mess of things. But when I obey what God says, whether I understand what he's saying or not, it he will use it big time. Yeah. And it's been a huge blessing. And we have been actually we're still in the process of it. Um actually just this last Wednesday we had a um fire environmental inspection and uh we have a couple little things we have left to do on uh, online uh, we went through a training a couple weekends back online because of covid and everything it's all online you know yeah and uh and we have a home study that we haven't scheduled yet but that's coming up soon i know so probably within the next uh month or two lord willing and the creek dump grass will <laughs> we'll be able to you know uh, was start seeing matches, uh, you know, for us, and we're we're really praying about exactly what God wants us to do because we both have our ideas of uh, the way we think it should work. Yeah, <laughs> and that's right. another thing we're trying to surrender. Yeah, but 
we we both believe that we're going we think that we're going to uh, pursue either the i think it's called the uh, legal risk adoption which is kind of like foster to adopt yeah. and or the straight adoption kind of just be open to both and see what what uh you know uh he wants us what you know what he wants us to do or if he wants us to do something different you know we're trying to yeah. really trying to be open about that yeah man. and let him work with it praise god man that's awesome so if um if you were talking with a christian that had never encountered any of the anti-nicene writings what would you encourage them to read first and why um I can't think of any any particular quote offhand, but I would definitely go to Polycarp hmm. because uh, of in Ignatius too, but specifically Polycarp because uh, him, like quite a few other of the early Christians, he was literally the disciple of the disciples. Yeah. I mean, he was John's personal. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, he he he. Uh, learned from John personally, John, yeah. the Apostle John. So uh, um, there's, I mean, I'm not at all, I would not put early Christian writings as equal weight with Scripture. I'm not right. saying they're inspired in anything like that. Yeah. But uh, that's a, that holds quite a bit of weight, you know, uh, that he was discipled by John. And in the book of Revelations, there's a lot of um, evidence to show that, uh, was it Smyrna? Yep. Yeah, he uh, Jesus had nothing bad to say about the church of Smyrna, and and uh, in Poly, it, there's a lot of evidence to show that Jesus was talking about Polycarp when he was he was writing that letter to Smyrna, and uh, I mean, so he Jesus had no problem with his doctrine, and uh, so I mean, I would I would definitely go go with Polycarp, and um, I mean. It, I mean, the, pretty much what he says is, uh, I mean, I'll, it's it's pretty much the same as what most, pretty much all the rest of them. They were very unified up to the point in Constantine yeah. and around 300 uh, A.D. Uh, the early Christians were very unified and the, the, there's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. They're like oil and water and they can't be mixed. Mm. And... Um, since the time of Constantine, in the mixing of the two kingdoms, uh, I mean, the church has lost it, as a whole. I mean, as professing Christians, I say the church, I mean, people who profess to be Christians. It's just lost so much uh, power. You know, there's weapons we were talking about that transform lives. The weapons being the gospel, loving our enemies. That is the gospel. I mean, Jesus loved his enemies to the point of, him taking his enemy's place on the cross. He died for the man that were driving nails through his wrist. Mm. I was I was responsible for driving nails through his wrist. Mm. And uh, Romans 5 says that while we were sinners, while we were his enemies, he died for us. That's the gospel. Yeah. And when we, when uh, the, perfect, the church, as far as professing Christians, um, stopped doing that, started uh, fighting wars against pagans and then also against each other, other professing Christians. I mean, we just, man, I mean, we just, uh, the, the political gospel has just really 
um, made true Christianity, uh, the kingdom of God, given it a very, very bad name. Um, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's been very detrimental to, to the, to the, uh, you know, I mean, the, the devil, um, first couple hundred years of Christianity, he couldn't stomp the Christians out by persecution. He would, Nero would drive stakes through the Christians and burn them to light his garden. He'd throw them to the lions and all terrible things. And he just, he, he burnt down Rome because he couldn't. (laughs) He couldn't uh, stop him, so he had to make him look bad. But nobody believed him because they said, uh, what, you know, you're expecting us to believe that the Christians who turn the other cheek and give me their coat when I steal from them, they give me their shirt too, and they go the extra mile with me, and they love me, and I'm, and I'm persecuting them. And yeah. you expect me to believe that they burnt down Rome? You know, I mean, it just didn't work. The person uh, was it uh, Justin Martyr? Or, uh, one of them said that the, uh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Yes, yeah, Tertullian. Tertullian, yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, so he decided to infiltrate the church and merge the two kingdoms, take the power um, away from. I mean, there's always been a remnant, you know, something like there just wasn't, you know, there hasn't been Christians for 2,000 years or 1,700 years, but I mean, you know, there's always been that remnant, but it's just, you know, uh, I mean, it's just uh, the found what Jesus said was foundational in the Sermon on the Mount. We read earlier Matthew seven. He said, "He that takes his sayings in mind and does them will be likened to the wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the storm came, it his house stood because it was founded on the rock." It's foundational. Like we can't get around it. Like we can't build our house on anything else but what Jesus said, because He's He's Lord. I mean, are we Lord or is He Lord? Mm. You know, with it, uh, what God says be true, and every man a liar. Yeah, man. Praise God. Well, man, I really appreciate you taking time again to to do this is is there any like encouragement or advice that you'd like to leave the listeners with yeah um um i mean if you if you listen to phil's show then i'm sure you've heard this this message many times but i'll i'll amen it and uh <laughs> encourage it as as edification uh because it's it's done flip my world upside down my whole paradigm's changed by Jesus's words, his simple words, taking him literally and seriously in what he says. And, um, I, I mean, I, I don't, this might be something that Phil has said in the past. I don't really remember where I got this, but it's really changed my life. This, this, uh, saying this phrase, uh, and it really sums everything up in a good, um, in, in just a really good way. Um, are we going to change Jesus's words to match our life and our preconceptions, our comforts, our denominational traditions, our culture? Are we going to change his words to match our life? Or are we going to change our life to match his very simple and clear words? Uh, I mean, obviously there's some times in scripture, like, you know, in Daniel revelation did you know, has imagery talking about a bear or, uh, you know, beast coming out of the sea and stuff. I mean, but uh, unless it's 
stating otherwise, like Jesus's words are to be taken very literally, especially when you read them in context. And like in the Sermon on the Mount, the last words of that sermon, he shows his seriousness to obeying his teachings or his sayings, what he said, uh, and what happens if you don't. I mean, that shows that he is he was very serious in, in the teachings he gave. So um, I would I would encourage people to read Jesus's words, the red letters, very simply, very literally in um, in and apply them to your life. Uh, have that if if you don't have that relation, that um, obedient love, faith relationship with Jesus, give your life to Jesus, everything in it. Uh, surrender it i mean uh, you might have said a sinner's prayer uh you know the the preacher says everybody's eyes closed nobody peeking nobody looking you know uh, uh and just ask jesus into your heart and i'm not not i'm not knocking on that i mean um but i mean you really need to understand what you're getting into jesus said uh to weigh the cost you know, uh, he said, you need to know what you're giving up. You're giving up your life. Because for us to be born again, we have to die to ourselves. It's an exchange life. Uh, we die to ourselves and our sinful life. And we are, uh, Jesus gives us his righteous life. It's exchange life. And then the change life comes. Mm. We die to ourselves. Jesus is, uh, we're born again with a, a Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're a new creation, and uh, we have a new, um, a new life, a born again life. So, um, if 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 to the listeners, uh, if if you've never had that born again experience, that that uh, I don't mean experience might be a bad word. It's, I don't mean it to be like an experience. But if you've never committed your life to Jesus. Um, you know, uh, switched allegiances from this world to the king. You know, when you when you're being born again, you're um, the early Christians. Uh, um, I think B.D. Case talked about how the early Christians would, uh, in their baptisms, they would renounce the the world and the government that they were the country they lived in, and they would swear their allegiance to Jesus as king because they understood that Colossians 1 13 scripture being rescued from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light and uh, they were changing kingdoms you know we're ambassadors to a foreign land so an ambassador to Russia from America uh, he uh, you know might he might pay taxes in Russia he, he obeys the laws uh, we're we're, we're uh, called to obey the laws up to the point of them disobeying God's laws. We're called to pray for the leaders in this nation, but we are a different of a different kingdom. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, getting into the whole political thing would take another hour, but you know, it's, it, you know, just, uh, I mean, just understanding that your, your allegiance is to Jesus as King. Um, I mean, I would encourage everybody to evaluate and I don't, I'm not trying to say to question your salvation or anything like that. But, I mean, even if you have given your life to Jesus in the past, like I did when I was eight years old, just take him for his word. And uh, that transformation, that Romans 12, uh, surrendering your bodies, living sacrifice, and not being conformed to this world, being transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
to prove guys good and good and set the word. So, um, I mean, you might have really given your life to Jesus in the past, but, um, you know, just give, you know, uh, that's what, you know, Lord's Supper communion is just re refocusing on that commitment. You know, um, next time you take uh, the Lord's Supper, just really um, think about that, pray about it, say, you, you know, uh, if you are already the listener, if you already are uh, a believer and a follower of Jesus, then uh, renew your vows. You know, Jesus said, don't take any oaths uh, as far as, um, you know, your your allegiance. You know, the definition of oaths is your pledge of allegiance, pledging your allegiance to anybody else or anything else but to Jesus as king. And, um, you know, so just evaluate your heart and uh, see where your allegiance is. Is it to Jesus as king? Um or are we just paying lip service to that? It, it, Jesus as Lord and Jesus as King, or are we actually um, living that through the power of the Holy Spirit? Praise God, man. Thank you so much, dude. Thank you. In the death of the wicked So when I delight In the death of the wicked I am them I am them You don't delight In the pain of the wicked So when I delight the pain of the wicked, I am them, I am them, so break my heart over what breaks yours, let me weep for what you weep for, change my ways, Jesus make me pure. Break my heart, make it just like yours You don't rejoice when the sinners are suffering So when I rejoice when the sinners are suffering I am I am them Yes, I am them So break my heart Over what breaks yours Let me weep For what you weep for Change my ways Jesus, make me pure Break my heart Make it just like yours you weep for us You weep for us And you weep for 
Let me weep for what you weep for. Change my ways, Jesus, make me pure. Break my heart, make it just like yours. Break my heart over what breaks yours. Let me weep for what you weep for. Change my ways, Jesus, make me pure. Break my heart, make it just like yours. Break my heart, make it just like yours. Break my heart, make it just like yours.